Well, good morning. Again, welcome to City Bible Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike. My wife Stacy and I have been a part of CBC now for three years. Just a quick note, please continue to pray for Pastor Marwan and Marcy and the boys as they spend time in the U.S. with family and friends. And we'll look forward to having them back here with us in a couple of weeks. Well, if you were here last week, you know that we had some trouble with the generator. It overheated. And I would like to think that it was because my preaching was on fire, (laughs) but most likely just the hot temperatures. If it happens again, we'll just say yella and keep going. Well, through the summer, we've been going through a series in the book of Psalms, which is part of wisdom literature in the Bible. The Psalms are considered the prayer book or song book of ancient Israel. The group of Psalms we've been going through is called the Songs, Psalms of Ascent, and they are songs sung by the people of God as they made their way up to Jerusalem to worship Him. Today we'll be looking at one of the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 127. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn there. You can also follow along in your bulletin or on the screens. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. Well, immediately we see that Solomon wrote this psalm. He was a son of King David and succeeded him on the throne. Solomon also wrote most of the book of Proverbs, which is also in the section of wisdom literature in the Bible. Like the Proverbs, Psalm 127 contains wisdom, principles to show us how to live. Psalm 127 comes right in the middle of the group of 15 Psalms of Ascent. In the first group of the seven Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 through 126, David wrote two and five are anonymous. Then in the second group of seven, Psalms 128 through 134, it's the same. David wrote two and five are anonymous. The structure is intentional. It's perfectly balanced and parallel, a mark of Hebrew literature. And right in the middle of the Psalms of Ascent, we have this one, Psalm 127 attributed to Solomon. Look at the opening line of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, it demonstrates that Solomon knew that the Lord is central. It's all about him. As the pilgrims sang this song on their journey up to Jerusalem to worship God, they were reminding their own hearts and one another that it's all about him. Throughout the psalm, Solomon shows us that there are two ways to build our lives either independent from God, relying on our own resources, which leads to living apart from God, or dependent on God, 
resting in his power and provision, which results in living under God's will and ways, ultimately bringing him glory. The world today tries to persuade us, saying, you can build your own life. You are enough. But Psalm 127 challenges us with the truth. You are not enough. And this is actually liberating because God is more than enough. He is the center that holds. As we go through this psalm, we'll see Solomon using real-life examples to contrast a life lived independently from God with a life lived in dependence on Him. The examples are a house, a city, work and rest, and children. First of all, a house. Look at verse 1a. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. In ancient Israel, a house or a household was very central to society. Often extended family members lived together and they shared the work and responsibility for life, such as growing their own food and each doing their part to build up the household. Life happened largely around the home. Well, it's different these days, isn't it? Much of our life happens outside of our house. We order food from toters, we walk to the local shop, we meet friends in cafes. I remember as a kid building a town of of houses and roads and buildings in my sandbox. I would sprinkle water over the sand as I built because the, the water would bind the sand together, making it sturdy. But then later on, as the sun came out and dried up the sand, my creation began to crumble. I'm reminded of Jesus' teachings that those who listen to his words are like the wise man who built his house on the firm foundation of rock. And when the rain and wind pounded against the house, it was sturdy and it didn't collapse. Jesus contrasted that with those who don't act on his words. They are like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain and the wind pounded against the house, it collapsed. This is the same principle that Solomon is writing about here. The example is a house, but it can translate to the building of our whole lives. That if we build it on our own efforts and don't include God, it will be vain. Vain has the meaning that it won't produce results. It will be fruitless. Sure, apart from God, we can enjoy life, we can be successful, we can have good relationships. All of these are part of common grace which God has provided everyone on the planet, regardless of whether they acknowledge him or not. But in the end, the glory goes to self. And this is not how life was intended. Rather, we were made to live for God, to live under his will and his ways. Unless the Lord is the center, the builders labor in vain. The motto of the city of Edinburgh, Scotland, which is inscribed on their coat of arms, is taken from the first line of Psalm 127. It's the Latin phrase, Nisi Dominus Frustra, without the Lord, frustration. It's a succinct way of summing up the overarching theme of this psalm, that without God's direction in our lives, life will be futile. There will be pointlessness, emptiness, and meaninglessness. Augustine, who lived in the fourth century in Algeria, lived a privileged life. 
but he lived solely for himself and reaching a point of feeling that life was just futile, he realized that he needed God. And when he came to faith, he wrote a prayer to God saying, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We were created by God to live for him under his perfect direction and law. His ways are good and beneficial for us. Acts 17:28 reminds us, in him we live and move and have our being. Secondly, another example is a city. Look at 1B. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchmen stay alert in vain. In the neighborhood that we grew up or that we lived in in India, we could hear the watchman patrolling at night and he would walk along the streets banging his stick on the ground, click, click, click. Or he'd blow a few puffs of his whistle. His goal was to let would-be intruders know, I'm here, I'm watching. In ancient cities, they also had watchmen. Guards would stand up on the walls and they would keep an eye open for danger, especially at night. The security of the people was at stake. No doubt we are thankful for the important work of soldiers and police and security workers. But what Solomon is saying here is no matter how alert the watchman is, unless the Lord's watchful eye and strong arm are protecting the city, the people inside won't be safe. We are dependent on him for our ultimate security. There's been a thematic correlation that we've seen in the other Psalms of Ascent in recent weeks of this imagery of God being our protection. Just listen. Last week in Psalm 125, the mountains surround Jerusalem and the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. Then a couple of weeks ago, we saw in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Where does your security come from? Does it come from your wealth or your good health? All of these things can crumble down quickly. We need to find rest and our ultimate security in the Lord. The next example in Psalm 127 is that of work and rest. Work and rest. Look at verse 2. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. We're going to spend considerable time on this part of the text thinking about our work because work is such a big part of our daily lives. Work is part of God's good design for us, but it can go sideways. We see that for the third time in this psalm, Solomon says in vain. In verse 1, he refers to laboring and staying alert or apart from the Lord are vain. And here, getting up early is vain. Now, those of you who like to sleep in a bit are saying, I knew it. I knew sleeping, uh, getting up early was in vain. Well, so is staying up late and working hard. The text isn't saying that there's something inherently wrong with being an early riser or a late night person or working hard. 
But these are pointless and futile if we think it all depends on us and it's about us. Psalm 127 describes work that goes sideways and becomes overwork and dependence on self-effort. Another translation of the Bible, the ESV, describes the overworking in verse 2 as eating the bread of anxious toil. This isn't only working long hours, it's striving incessantly to try and get ahead and control our lives, believing that it all depends on you. Well, you may be thinking, okay, if overwork is a problem, does that mean I should just sit back and do nothing? Won't God do it all? Won't God build a house and guard the city and provide food? In the New Testament, some of the believers in the church in Thessalonica had this same mentality and were not working. They were idle. And Paul addressed this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He wrote, For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. Now we command and exhort such people in the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. Here in Psalm 127, Solomon is not telling us to stop working. We should work and participate, but in doing so, our ultimate purposes should not be for ourselves, for if it is, it will be in vain. God is needed in the equation. The Bible is clear that God worked. God worked. In Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. God came up with the design, the solar system, the planets, the stars, the galaxies, Then he created it just by speaking. Not only did God work when he created, but he continues to work as he holds the universe in his hand. God also worked when he created us as humans. Isn't it amazing when you study the human body? It's fascinating what God created. If you would line up all the technological inventions of the world, the best computer, the best car, the fastest car, the most powerful fighter jet, everything. They don't even measure up to the complexities and wonder of the human being. The cognitive abilities which God has given us are amazing as well. We are made in His image. He has given us the capacity to reason, to create, to produce, to work. Well, you may say, I'm not really sure there is a God. Think about the design and wonder of this world that we live in. Did it just happen randomly? Or does this glorious world point to an ultimate designer? Aquinas referred to this as the prime mover, the God of Christianity. He is the creator and has revealed himself to us through his creation. Because we're made in his image, we're also created to work. But sometimes our understanding of work is limited. We like to put work in a small little box. But work can be many things. If you're a student, you are working, aren't you? You're memorizing, you're learning a subject. If you're working in the home, cooking a meal or organizing or cleaning, you are working. If you're a volunteer or you're serving others in different capacities as a volunteer, you are working. You may be an entrepreneur or a civil servant or an employee at a company. All these encompass different types of work. Maybe you're here and you're a boss. That's work as well, isn't it? 
There are many ways we work, and they are all valuable. They all contribute to help others, to help the overall flourishing and benefit of society. We were made to work. Work is good. Work has dignity, but because of sin in us and around us, work is broken. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to disobey God in the garden, everything was affected by the fall. They would experience toil, which means work would be difficult. Work would be a struggle. They would experience weariness in all their work and endeavors. This consequent on work continues to our day. In the work we do, we face challenge. We experience frustration and roadblocks. There's an example of this in Genesis chapter 11. The people at that time in Genesis 11 had only one language. And they came together as a people. They said, let's make a plan. We're going to make a great city and a great tower called the Tower of Babel. But their motivation was clear. They said, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make ourselves great by this great city and tower. They had great planning. They had teamwork. They had their own language, the best techniques. They were able builders. But they were building a tower of glory to themselves making mankind central, showing their own power. It was short-lived, though. God came down and confused their language and gave different languages to different people so that they couldn't understand one another. Then God spread and scattered them throughout the earth. Hence, this grand project could not go forward. It was all in vain. Babylon's lie was that we can live a life independent from God, that we can exalt ourselves, that we can control and chart our own destiny apart from God's will and His ways. Generations have bought a similar lie about technology, that somehow it will make everything right in the world, that it will give us control. We will finally make the world better with technology. Well, no doubt there have been technological advances which have made our lives better, such as in medicine or communications. But even with great advances, we still have a world filled with hatred and war and pride and injustice. Technology has helped in some ways, but has also provided a readily available opportunity for us to engage and be seeing evil, such as pornography and other ways to exploit others. The world has never been so connected, yet so many people are disconnected from healthy relationships with others. Technology is a tool that can be used for good and for evil. Because it's a powerful tool, technology can easily become an idol in our lives, something we lean on more than we lean on God. And when that happens, we need to repent, to turn and refocus on what's essential, loving God, and loving others. So when we think overall about our work, we can ask ourselves some questions. Is my work just benefiting me, getting myself ahead, or am I serving? Am I empowering others in my work? Friends, God is working in the lives of people all around us. What an opportunity we have to see our work as a way that we can join God in His work. God chooses to use us. So let's build our vision of work on His foundation for His glory. Let's continue looking at the second half 
of verse 2. He gives sleep to the one he loves. He gives sleep to the one he loves. Now it's important that we remember the Psalms are poetry. So this line, God gives sleep to the one he loves, we should be careful. We should not interpret that, that if we struggle with sleep problems, maybe we have a health condition or insomnia, that we immediately jump to the conclusion that God doesn't love us. We have to be careful with these interpretations and conclusions in poetry. Rather, the principle expressed here in the poetry of verse 2 is that if we rely on ourselves, we won't find peace and rest. But God gives us rest. He keeps the world going even as we are fast asleep at night. He gives us the very breath in our lungs as we are deep in sleep. Scientists are coming out with some amazing studies on the importance of sleep. Sleep is restorative to us. Our bodies need sleep for our immune system, for our cardiac health, our heart health. Our bodies need sleep to keep going. And God has provided this as a grace to us, as a rhythm for our bodies. Psalm 4.8 says, I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me to live in safety. Sleep is a gift. It reminds us that we are finite and limited. Only God can do everything and be everywhere all the time. We don't have to strive and stress. We can rest in God. Ultimately, God is the provider of our daily needs, isn't he? He gives us the capacity and the ability to work. We can do our work with joy and excellence as unto him. Well, this passage on work and rest has application for our spiritual lives as well. Maybe you're here today and you're just trying all your best to work hard and strive to somehow be good enough to please God, to do more good in your life than you do bad so that in hopes that when you die, God will let you into heaven. Friend, the gospel or the good news of the Bible is that we are accepted by God not based on our self-effort, our works, but on Christ's work, his effort on our behalf. His work. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and He invites us to come to Him, to rest in Him, to receive the gift of salvation by trusting in His work on the cross. It is sufficient to pay for our sins. We can't work our way to heaven. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says, But you are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God not from works, so that no one can boast. Well, the final illustration which the psalmist gives is children. Look at verse 3. Sons, or most Bible translations say children, which is more applicable, are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. So just as the Lord is the one who builds and watches and gives us rest, He, too, is the one who gives children. They are not God's design, not, or sorry, they are God's design. They are not human design. God designed the miraculous process of reproduction. Humans actually have very little to do with it. Creation is God's work. Children are a gift. They are from the Lord. 
for those of you who desire children, whether you're single or married and haven't had any, you find that God hasn't answered your prayers as you would like. Those who have experienced sorrow in this area, hear God's love for you. He is with you. Trust Him for the future. In our world today, there are many voices that say children are a burden, that children hold back from us being able to do what we want, that kids aren't sustainable, that they add strain to the earth's resources. But the Bible says that children are a heritage. They are a blessing. China realized this with its one-child policy, that it was doing more harm than good, and since they've encouraged their people to have more children. Bad things happen when countries aren't growing or at least replacing their population. The economy suffers, there aren't enough people to work, and societies miss out on the benefits that children bring to the society. Let's look at verse 4. The text goes on to say, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. Solomon is saying that the children that God provides are a blessing to us and the community. We launch our children out in the world like arrows. They move beyond us in our lives. They grow up and do important work speaking with their enemies at the city gate. The city gate, when this was written, is where business was conducted, where judicial affairs were conducted. And the grown-up children in this psalm are negotiating and they're solving problems. They are not ashamed. They are not afraid to engage challenges. They are serving their city so it can flourish. In God's design, children grow up and one day watch out for their parents. And some of you are helping your aging parents right now. It's important work. May God give you joy and strength in that important work. Some of you are young parents and you find that your quiver, your life, your schedules are all full. Like arrows, children should be carefully shaped and guided with skill and aimed, given direction. And may God give you patience and wisdom and love as you parent your children. Well, if it's vain to try and build a house without God or watch a city without God or work without God, then certainly it's vain to raise children without God. Parenting puts us in a unique position where God can grow us. We're never fully ready and we will make mistakes. There's nothing that has grown Stacy in my faith than raising our kids, Liam and Anna. They're in their early 20s now. They're living in the U.S. and working. And it's still a step of faith and a walk of faith for us to entrust them to the Lord every day. Perhaps the Lebanese poet Halil Gibran was thinking of Psalm 127 when he wrote the famous poem about parenting. I think the archer he writes about is the Lord Just listen. You are the bows from which your children are living arrows sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, 
For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. God uses parenting not only to launch children, but he also uses parenting to bend and reshape parents. It's a 24-7 hour job, isn't it? It's a 24-7 opportunities for God to grow us and to sanctify us. God nurtures and trains us as we nurture and train our children. He parents us. He reminds us that we are his children, dependent on him. He is the source of our stability. Jesus didn't procreate. He didn't father earthly children. Yet by his love, he made those who have faith in him his sons and daughters. He brought us into his family. And as Jesus' disciples, as followers of Jesus, we can learn to serve and love one another like family. For Solomon and the pilgrims, as they originally sang this song in Psalm 127, raising children, building a house, watching over a city, working for daily needs, this is what life was all about for them. In 2023, People have similar goals, don't they? A home, a safe neighborhood, a good job, a happy family. These are good and noble pursuits and are part of God's original design for humanity to live securely, to rule and care for the earth and to fill it. We were made for this kind of work. How are we going to go about it? How are we going to go about it? Psalm 127 is showing us that there are two ways to live. We can try and build our life independently of God in our own way, which in the end ultimately leads to futility. Or we can build our life dependent on God and His will, His way, and this path leads to fruitfulness. I have a picture that I would like to show you on the screen If this bunch of young grapes we saw last month growing in the Kadesha Valley were cut off from the vine, they would not grow to maturity and sweetness, would they? They would not bring life and nourishment. Rather, they would wither and die apart from the vine. In John 15, Jesus said, Remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing without me is God's message to us in Psalm 127. Without the Lord, frustration. On our own, we are not enough. What a relief. Embrace this. But God is more than enough. He is the center that holds. And this is good news for us. We can rest in his protection and provision. Let's build our lives on his firm foundation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for you are high and exalted. Yet you desire a relationship with us. 
Thank you for making a way to know you through Jesus. Heavenly Father, we find ourselves often building our lives on our own strength. We ask for your help to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, building our lives on you, our sure foundation. Amen.